0: Thanks for checking out the YVF podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you in whatever season of life you are in. Now here's Pastor Kevin. And I wanna share some things concerning Pentecost. And we're gonna be looking at Acts chapter two, but before we do, I wanna look at Genesis chapter 11. And the title of the message is, As the Spirit Wills, As the Spirit Wills. Father, I thank you for your word, and as we come before you this morning to open your word and study your word, we thank you that you have blessed us, that you have spoken to us through your word, that everything from Genesis through to Revelation, Everything from the first word, from the first letter to the last letter of this Bible that we hold, that lays open before us or somebody has it on their phone or their tablet or whatever, that this is your living word that is sharper than any two-edged sword. And I pray today that you would speak to our hearts and that you would reveal yourself to us and your will for our lives as we study your word and as we open and listen to the things that you have chosen to share with us today, in Jesus' name, amen. So in Genesis chapter 11, we have the story of the Tower of Babel, and I want to read from that story, and just I'm going to read verses 1 through 9, Genesis 11, verse 1. It says, Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. It came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, come let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone, and they used tar for mortar. They said, come let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name, otherwise we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language, and this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down. I like in Genesis where you see God in the plural. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit speaking to one another. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. Amen. So the name Babel is, of course, what's later called Babylon and the name babel means exactly what it means in english the babel ba 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 because that's what they sounded like to each other and so they named the city babel and it's the beginning of babylon and the beginning of empires that exist unto this day so there's a few things i want to point out from the story before i tell you the main thing that i want to tell you Uh, One of the things is where in verse 3 it says, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly, and they use brick for stone and they use tar for mortar. So this is not just a side note in the story that tells you something interesting. It actually has spiritual significance. Now, our building has a lot of bricks on it. I'm not going to tell you right now that bricks are evil because they're not evil, okay? But they have a spiritual significance in the scripture. You know, the Bible says, talking about us, about the church, that we are living stones, not living bricks. And there's an understanding in the scripture that a brick is something made by the hands of men. Bricks do not occur in nature, right? Bricks are not made by God. They are made by men who are made by God. So the brick is symbolic of man's dead works. They said, let us make bricks. For example, when Solomon's temple was built, there was not a single brick in that temple. It was made completely of stones that were quarried, not on site. Of course they were quarried, not on site, but they were cut. They were quarried and cut, not on site. They were cut to the exact measurements way off of site so that there would be no sound of any tools on the site of the holy place where the temple was to be built it was really an amazing feat of engineering and geometry and all these kinds of things that went into the building of the temple and so when it says that they use bricks instead of stone it's telling us that they were building a city not according to the will of God. They were building a city so that they would not have to do what God purposed for them to do. Because God had purposed from the very beginning with Adam and with Eve, and he told them, and then he tells it again to Noah after the flood, and this, of course, is after the flood, that you should spread out across the earth, that you should be fruitful and that you should multiply. And these people, the people of the earth, did not want to be fruitful and multiply. They didn't want to spread out. They wanted to gather together and build a tower to heaven. It's really absolutely no different from everything that mankind does to this day. It's the beginning of empires. It's the beginning of Babel that we will be a God to ourselves upon the earth. Okay? So that's, that's an interesting thing that I, I want you to, to see in this. Now another thing is that we can determine approximately when this occurred. In chapter 10 and in verse 25, we read that there's a, a whole list of genealogy here, and we read of, of the sons of Noah and the children that came after them, the, the nations that were established after them because these are the nations. For example, in verse 13, it says, Mitzrayim, became the father of Ludin. Mitzrayim is Egypt. And to this day, in the Egyptian language, that that name is used. And so all of these are nations that are born in here. You can see in verse 11, it says, Nineveh. And Nineveh, to this day, is a city that exists. It's called Mosul, And there's been a lot of fighting over the last 20 years around that, that area in northern Iraq. So these are the nations that were established, including uh, the Hebrew nation is listed here. Uh, you'll see in verse 21, it says, Tashem, the father of all the children of Eber. Eber means Hebrew. And so this is where they come from. And... Uh, In verse 25, it says, two sons were born to Eber. The name of the one was Peleg, and Peleg means division. For in his days, the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan or Yocton. So, Peleg is given the name of division. So, we just kind of assume that when he was born, that was the moment when the earth was divided. And that's, you can put this together, that's approximately 100 years after the flood. So for 100 years after the flood, the people multiplied. They all spoke the exact same language. Uh, All the sons of uh, Noah that ended up spreading out over all of the earth, all people in all places, of all races and all colors, even modern science tells us that we come from a single father, from a single root. And that may be difficult to understand. How, come, uh, how did it happen that somebody got this color skin and other people got this color skin? And the Bible really doesn't explain that, but it does explain to us how we got different languages. Okay? And that's shown to us in chapter 11 that God did that to us on purpose so that we would not be able to unite together against him. And, you know, if you ever watch any of those United Nations hearings or any of those kinds of things on C-SPAN or somewhere like that, or, or uh, uh, when leaders of the world get together, they always have to have translators. And if you've ever worked with a translator, even the greatest translator that you could have can never express 100% what it is that you want to say. Now, And, of course, in the U.N., they're going to have the best translators of all. But if you've ever watched any of those hearings, whoever's speaking always has his remarks completely repaired. He's just reading his remarks. Because they want to make 100% sure that the translation is correct. So it's all prepared ahead of time. The translation's prepared ahead of time. It's checked, checked, double-checked, triple-checked. Because even though we say we have United Nations, it's quite obvious in our world that we still don't get along with each other. And the reason we don't get along with each other is because God confused our languages. You know, there can be a husband and wife that both speak perfectly fine English, and yet they can't understand what the other one is even talking about. Has that ever happened in your family? Has that ever happened between coworkers? Has that ever happened between friends? It's like, I just, I understand the words, but I don't understand what you mean by those words because you have a different vocabulary or because you have a different point of view and sometimes we struggle to understand each other even when we speak the same language. So all the more so when we don't speak the same language. Uh, Years and years ago when I was in school, and I can't remember what grade I was in, but we had this guy talking about languages and, Uh, One of the things that he or she, I can't remember the man or a woman said, but it just always kind of stuck with me. They were talking about some tribe somewhere in Africa, I think it was, and in this tribe they only had, I think it was three, it may have been different, I can't remember, but we'll just say it was three, that they only had three names for colors, you know, red and blue and yellow, the primary colors. And so everything was called red, blue, or yellow, and they... They explained that, that if that's what your language is, then that's how your mind is limited. So even though there are completely different shades, and not that the people's eyes worked differently, their eyes didn't work differently, but everything they saw in these three three colors, because that were the only names that they had for those colors. Well, I experienced something sort of like that, and you might argue and say it's not exactly true, but I noticed this when I moved to Russia years ago, and I was learning Russian, I noticed that people kept seeing things that were orange and telling me that they were yellow. And I was saying, that's that's not yellow, it's orange. And it started feeling like maybe I'm a little colorblind or something. And then I realized that there is the word for orange in in Russian, but it's not used nearly as much as the word for yellow, and then I figured it out. Actually, this, we're talking about the same color. Just orange has a little bit more red mixed into it. And where, that li- where do you draw that line when you stop saying yellow and you start saying orange? You understand what I'm saying? So what we, we, when we speak different languages, we don't even understand how the other person feels because language is an expression of our heart. Language is an expression of our feeling. And then we have the language that we were born with, the dialect that we were born with. When we get to Acts chapter 2, we're going to talk about dialects. We have the dialect that, that, that we were born with. You know, I was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And when I moved to Iowa for the first time, people said I sounded like a hick. They said, you've got such a southern accent and everything. And I thought they were crazy. Because in Tulsa, you have a sophisticated accent. Now, I'm just being honest, and you say words, uh, at least it used to be this way, and in my family, my school anyway, at least it was like this, that you, you don't use, you don't say y'all, for example, and I, we would say y'all because we thought it was funny, and, and then you don't, you don't talk like Uncle Bill talked who lived in Muskogee, so my Uncle Bill lived in Muskogee and we'd go see them, my brother and I would crack up laughing because of the way they spoke. And Muskogee is 30 minutes away from Tulsa. You know, and you have these completely different dialects in different places. And then you move away and you lose that because you pick up what somebody else has. My brother, for example, that lives in North Carolina and has lived in North Carolina for, I don't know, 30 years or or more, he has the strangest accent to me. And I, he says things that I don't say. Like if I say turn the lights on, he says mash the button or a switch or something like that. He keeps saying the word mash all the time. Like, <laughs> we didn't say mash in Oklahoma. Where did that come from? But you pick up the dialect of the places that you are. And so our language is an expression of our heart. It's an expression of our feeling. And nothing speaks to a person's heart like hearing the gospel, hearing the truth in their native language dialect, not just language in their native dialect in that dialect that they heard their mom and their dad speaking to them. And when they were a baby, because you, you never forget that, you never forget that expression. And we're going to see that in Acts chapter two, how God worked with that. So here, God divides their languages. He brings confusion to the language and confusion produces myth. All God does is bring confusion to the language. That's a miracle that God works. He divides their languages up. And even you know, linguists, scientists will tell you that languages are in families. And they also all go back to some distant common root. Most linguistic theory believes that there is a common root to all languages because they branch out from, from one another. So God took this language and he divided it up. He confused their languages. And when the confusion happened, then it brought misunderstanding between the people. And when the misunderstanding happened, of course, it brought division. And they began to move away and live in different places and fight with each other. And we don't like fighting with each other. We don't like wars. We don't like strife. God doesn't like any of those things. But I do want you to understand that the beginning of that strife, that beginning of these misunderstandings and division was actually kind of like something that God put on us to protect us from destroying ourselves. Because we would have, you think, you think wars are bad, but if we, it actually tells us that if we all had the exact same language, we would be much quicker to destroy each other. We wouldn't be afraid, we would be like Cain and Abel. The first murder was actually between two brothers that perfectly understood each other. And there wasn't anybody else around except these two brothers and a few other folks and their family. And that's when the first murder occurred. So God confuses their languages to bring misunderstanding and to bring division and ultimately to keep us dependent on him, not because he's... Some kind of psycho that needs everybody to be dependent on him because that's how we were created in his image. And when we stop depending on him, we begin to destroy ourselves. So the other thing I want to point out to you is in verse one, it says the whole earth used the same language and the same words in my Bible. In the original Hebrew, it says now the whole earth was of one lip and united words. They had a united vocabulary. The words that they used, they all knew exactly what they meant, okay? And it's interesting because the word, words, in Hebrew is davar, and it's thousands of times in the Old Testament. But this word, davar, depending upon the um, context, will be translated in different ways. Sometimes it's translated as word. Sometimes it's transla- translated as thing or enterprise, something that people do or something that people build. And this is a good example of how words work because in the Hebrew scripture and in, so in the Hebrew mind, there's only one word for both of these things. And so you understand that the word produces an action. It produces fruit and that, and that's very very true when we speak something we're actually speaking something. it is actually a thing what we speak God created the heavens and the earth by his word God said let there be light and there was light you know what God spoke came into existence and we forget about this and we don't think about this but this is very important in our lives. We all, all of us can look back on our lives and think of, uh, it's, it's easier to think of some bad thing, okay? But there's probably some good thing you can think of also. But you can think of a problem that came about in your life because you opened your big mouth and said something you shouldn't say. And you could never go back and fix that, Okay or because you talk to yourself over and over again it's called meditating and you kept speaking these words these bad words and then they they brought forth bad fruit in in your life the bible says that the power of death and life are in the tongue that it's in our tongue the bible says in james that there's one member of our body that is untamed and cannot be tamed and that is the tongue the things that that we speak so they had a united vocabulary and that means they had a united business enterprise, they could do anything that they wanted to do and God recognizes that and God says to them uh says that if, if I do not if we do not confuse again this we as father son and Holy Spirit if we do not confuse their language. Then, and that could include also the whole council of angels with God. I don't know who's in the we there, but it's definitely Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If we do not confuse their language, then nothing will be impossible to them. You remember in Genesis, after the sin of Adam and Eve, that God said that he had to put an an angel with a flaming sword to protect the entrance to the tree of life. And God said, I have to cut them off from the tree of life. Because if they eat from the tree of life, they will live forever in their sin. There'll be no more forgiveness for them. So far, they've only eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's still salvation for them. But if they take that and go the next step to make themselves eternal gods, they'll be nothing like but, but Satan's. There'll be nothing left for them but to throw them to the lake of fire for all eternity. So God does things. Uh, that are radical and that seem bad, maybe, but they're actually good. They're just really hard spankings, and they're there to protect us from destroying our our own lives. So I want you to notice those things here in the scripture. Then if you, uh, a couple more things. If you go back to chapter 10, and if you decide to read through that list of names, you're going to notice that it talks about them being uh divided or separated according to their languages that god separated them according to their languages and because we have english minds not hebrew minds we think well wait a minute that doesn't make any sense because chapter 10 comes before chapter 11 and so how could they be divided by their languages in chapter 10 and then in chapter 11 it says they all speak the same language but this is a really common thing in Genesis and it's a common thing in the Hebrew scripture, okay? It's just a different way of thinking that again shows us the power of languages. So what happens is first uh, the facts are, are told to us and then following that is the story that explains how those facts came, came to be. So chapter 10 is the result of chapter 11 actually, it's just not in the order that, that we think in. And uh, so there you have that. And then the other thing I want to show you is in chapter 10, verse eight. In chapter 10, verse eight. And I'll begin reading from verse eight. It says, now Cush became the father of Nimrod. So Cush is one of the sons of Ham. And uh, you'll see that in verse six. And Cush became the father of Nimrod. So this guy's pretty important in this story. He became a mighty one on the earth. Okay, when it says mighty one, this is talking about a mighty warrior and not in a godly way. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. And this term, mighty hunter, can also imply that he was a hunter of men's souls, that he was a hunter of men's lives, a a warrior. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel. So he's the ringleader with this guy named Nimrod, with establishing the empire or the kingdom of Babel. And Erech and Akkad and Kalna in the land of Shinar. This is all in modern day Iraq in the land of Babylon. From that land he went forth into Assyria and built Nineveh. This is in the north of Iraq, it's Mosul today. He built this, the great city of Nineveh in the great empire of Assyria and real both ear and kala and resin between nineveh and kala that is the great city and then it goes on to talk about egypt or mitzrayim so we have this man that's the ringleader of these empires of the babylonian empire of the beginning of the babylonian empire and then of the assyrian empire and so he's the beginning of of all these empires and god has to put a stop to it he's like this ancient antichrist that's rising up against God, and he's rallying everybody to his side. And so the way that God puts a stop to it is by dividing the languages uh, of all all the earth. Um, When it says that in the days of Peleg, the earth was divided, some people uh, theorize, theorize, and this is just a theory, that perhaps at that time not only were the languages divided, but the continents were divided also. Because I'm sure you've heard the theories of continental drift, and you can look on a globe and it seems pretty obvious that like puzzle pieces, the continents used to all be together as one when, when God created the heavens and the earth. We don't know about that, but we do know this, that today we live in a world that, where the continents are divided by oceans. Where our languages are divided, and with all of our modern technology, we still don't understand each other. And the more our technology becomes uh, further and further advanced, it seems like the less we understand each other, doesn't it? I mean, just simple things like text messages. How many of you like to get a text message more than you like to talk to somebody face-to-face? you know, because I get these text messages sometimes, and then I worry when I send a text message, maybe I didn't really explain this right, because nobody can see what I feel, they can't see my eyes, and I'm kind of in a hurry, and every once in a while, you kind of feel like you offended somebody, you definitely didn't mean to, or you didn't really get the information across to them, right? And social media makes it even worse, and it doesn't matter what we do, we just keep dividing ourselves away from each other. So now let's fast forward 4,000 years, okay, to Acts chapter 2. So approximately 4,000 years of human history goes by, and we come to Acts chapter 2. And these stories are meant to be joined together. When you read Acts chapter 2, it is, is meant by the Holy Spirit that you would hearken back to Genesis chapter 11. Remember that God divided their languages so that they would not be able to do everything that they wanted to do, so that they would not be able to join together. But in Acts chapter 2, we see the birth of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So big thing I want you to see that there is supposed to be a difference between the people of God who are living stones that are built up into the temple of the Holy Spirit, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's supposed to be a difference between a Christian family that is walking in the Holy Spirit, between the love that is between a husband and wife, and that which is in the world. And, and, and the things that are in the world are supposed to look to the church and see light, aren't they? and yet so often it happens that the world influences us and we begin to build our lives with bricks instead of being the living stone churches try to build themselves up with bricks of things that will make the church grow we'll get more people in we'll get more offerings and we need all that not so that the pastors get more money or something but so we can do more ministry and we justify a lot of things in in, in our minds and even though we know that the means do not justify, or the end does not justify the means, we actually do that in our lives. We say to ourselves, well, the end of this is going to be good, so we're just going to work on our flesh here a little bit. And we realize over and over again that that's not true. Everything that we build in the flesh, it just comes like a tower of Babel and comes crumbling down. But in Acts chapter 2, we read about how God, after 4,000 years, reunited the languages of the earth in a miraculous way. It says in Acts chapter 2, when the, and I'm just going to read several of these verses, just read together. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. So there's 120 people together, the disciples of Jesus in one place, that are waiting just as Jesus told them to wait. They were all together in one place. It was men, women, children, young people, old people. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. It doesn't say it was a violent rushing wind. But it was like the noise was like a violent rushing wind. And we will see that this boom that happened was so loud. It was actually a noise, that was, a spiritual noise that was manifested uh, physically. That people heard it in the city. Everyone in the city heard it. So this noise, like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house and they, uh, where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. So they saw, and this is not a mistake, that it's called tongues. I mean, we, we have this in the English language. We, it's totally normal to talk about a tongue of fire, right, that when you see a flame of fire, it has tongues. But tongues is speaking of languages also, right? And the wind is there, and everybody knows enough science to know that uh, fire uh, doesn't exist without oxygen, right? And uh, um, that where there's oxygen, there, there, the fire will continue to, to spread. And so we have the wind of the spirit. We have the fire of the spirit. We have the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire. We have all these illusions from the Old Testament that are mixed into this. But this is the presence of God. It's the presence of God. And when the Holy Spirit comes, this fire comes, and they are able to see this, okay? This this isn't a miracle that repeats all the time. It never repeats again in the book of Acts, okay? But it's a miracle that kicks off the whole new program that God is starting. They're able to see this fire, and then the Holy Spirit, and this is important, distributes himself. The tongues of fire are distributed to each person. So on top of Bo's head, there's one. On top of Tanya's head, there's one. On top of John's head, there's one. And I know you think these are super Christians, okay? But that's just because you've forgotten what a mess Peter is up to this point. They're people just like us. But they are obedient to wait for the Holy Spirit. And so this fire is distributed to each one of them. And if you know something about fire, when it's distributed like that, it doesn't weaken. It's just growing in strength, right? It's spreading. The fire is spreading. And so this fire spreads, and each person receives this portion of the Holy Spirit. And Peter doesn't have more fire than his mother-in-law, who might have been there. I don't know if she was there or not, but he has a mother-in-law. And, and so these people are all gathered together and they all receive this portion of the Holy Spirit. I hope I don't need to teach on that, that you understand what I'm talking about, how the Holy Spirit wants to move in our lives today. And it says they were all, so each one of them is filled with the Holy Spirit. They didn't get a little sprinkling, they are filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them Utterance. So if you've never received this gift from the Holy Spirit, then I know that you might be thinking, I don't understand how this works. And if you have received this gift from the Holy Spirit, which, uh, which I want you to know that, that, that God wants you to have this gift. OK, that um, no pressure on you, I'm not going to make anybody come up here and pray for you this morning or anything like that. But I want you to know, because it begins with this, just a hunger for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that God wants you to have this gift. If you have received this gift, then there, honestly, there's no way you can explain to anybody how it works. It just works like this. The Spirit is giving them utterance. They are speaking the words out. It's not some automatic thing where the Holy Spirit's making their mouth move but there are words swelling up on the inside of them. Every one of us has had a feeling like this when you're very emotional and you're talking about something, things begin to fly out of your mouth that you don't even premeditate, but they're there on the inside. They're down on the inside. So these words are on the inside of them and they begin to speak them out. Now look what happens. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. The word living there is not a good translation. It says there were Jews dwelling or resident in Jerusalem. They were actually camping out in Jerusalem. They are there for Shavuot, for the day of Pentecost. It's a huge feast. And they've come from all the nations of the earth because the Jews lived all over, you know, all the way to Rome, all the way to Britain, all over the place. I mean, literally all the way to Great Britain. Speaking of Great Britain, I promised to do something. And I just remembered, hi, Gordon. I told Gordon I'd wave to him. I hope he's watching. He said he'd be watching. He he and Shelley are in London right now. He is watching. Okay. Good to see you, Gordon, and say hi to the king, King Chuck from us. Okay. So, they've come from all the countries of the earth and they are there in Jerusalem for the big holiday. And they're just having fun. They're just doing what you do when you're on holiday. And it says in verse 6, when this sound occurred, so when the boom happened, The sound, like a great, rushing, violent wind happened. When the sound occurred, the crowd came together, of course. And they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Wow. Now, some people argue that the miracle was in their hearing, okay? But it really doesn't say that. I guess that doesn't really matter. But it says... That they were speaking in the languages of all all the earth, but they don't under the ones who are speaking. They don't know what they're saying. Okay, they're speaking in foreign languages that they do not understand. The scripture talks about in First Corinthians. If I were, I think we're going to read this today. Yeah, we will. That if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, remember that scripture, and we'll get to it in a few minutes. So there are tongues of men, and there are tongues of angels. And I know we want to try to logically figure all this stuff out, but we don't need to. Okay? What's happening here is a reverse, a rewind of what happened in Genesis 11. And notice that they're being confused as they enter back into God's plan. They were confused as they were driven out of God's plan and as they're being sucked back into god's plan literally it's like this vacuum is just sucking them in at this at this entrance at this gateway they have confusion okay and there's nothing bad about that because it is miraculous and it is amazing and they can't understand it with their own mind but it says they're hearing them speak in his own language and in the greek it says in his own dialect so they're not hearing it just in the language the mother language They're hearing it in the language that their mama spoke to them in when they were little children. They're hearing it in their dialect, okay? And when we can take the gospel to people and we can speak to them in their dialect, why do you think there are, you know, missionaries all over the world that work on translating the scripture and bringing it into the dialect of a nation? You know, the Bible's already been translated into every main language of the world, And there are plenty of people around the world that could understand the Bible in English. Okay, because English is taught all over the world. But that doesn't mean they're gonna feel it in their dialect, because when you read it in your dialect, you feel something different than when you read it in the the mother language or this language you studied in college or something like that. So God begins the Great Commission, okay? He says that you're going to be my witnesses to them. He says you're going to go and speak this gospel to them. When when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're going to receive power. We talked about that last week, and you will be my witnesses. So the power is actually what's making them the witnesses, and that's a really important point because it's still true in our lives today. And When I was growing up in, in church, we had these, I think they were actually called like witnessing classes, and when I was in high school, and you go to these classes and you learn how to pass out these tracks and knock on doors. And it was sort of like Mormons or something, but I, I don't know. And uh, you had to k- learn how to convince people with arguments the truth of the gospel. And I remember I'd go to these classes and we'd do the things. And I, I never liked doing it. And uh, I... I, mean, I hate to use this word because it's so popular now, but I would cringe when I had to do it. <laughs> and, and because it just wasn't kind of like my thing. <laughs> and some people are real comfortable with that, but I wasn't real comfortable with it. And I, but I would do it because we were supposed to and because I kind of felt guilty if I didn't do it. And it was several years before I began to realize that's really not what Jesus was talking about. You know, and I'm not saying that God can't use that and, and sometimes does use that. And there are people who definitely have an evangelistic ministry where they're called to do things like that. But what he's talking about is just living your life and being a witness for Jesus. And the, I didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit in my life then. I was just learning to say stuff because that was what I was being told to say and to memorize Things and say these answers to people. But look at the difference when the power of the Holy Spirit comes on them. They don't even, in their own mind, understand what they're saying. They're not even trying to gather the people. To, did they gather the people together? They didn't do it, they didn't put, you know, announce something on the on the Jerusalem radio, they didn't put an ad in the Jerusalem newspaper. You know, they didn't do anything to gather these people together. And they did not say, God, I want this to happen on the day of Pentecost because there's gonna be a lot of people here on that day and that'll be the perfect time for this evangelistic campaign to kick off. They didn't know what day it was gonna happen. Jesus said, just sit here and wait until the Holy Spirit comes. But God organized this. God brought the people together. God made the boom sound when the Holy Spirit came in. God announced it and God brought everybody in. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. So it says in verse 7, they were amazed and astonished. And they were saying, why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And Galileans, by the way, were not considered highly educated people. They were working class people. Fishermen and all these things. So they're saying these, these people could not have learned our languages. And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? And then there's a list and I wanna read the list. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia. Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Jews are non-Jews by birth who became Jews by choice, uh, Gentiles who were converted to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues, speaking of the mighty deeds of God. Now I wanted to read the list because again, this matches Genesis 11. This is a list of nations, and it includes Cretans who were considered just the lowest of the low. We, have, we still have this word in English. Somebody's a, a, you know, a Cretan or a Crete. That they, they were just considered the stupidest of the stupidest, and they're there. And then you've got the sophisticated Romans there. You've got, you've got everybody. I'm not saying they were stupid. I'm saying how they were considered. You've got the Arabs there that were considered the dirty Arabs back then, the children of Ishmael and all that kind of stuff by the Jews. So you've got from the highest to the lowest, you've got Egypt there, you've got all the nations gathered together. And they each now hear for the first time in 4,000 years, they hear words that they understand in their heart, in their native language. And what do they hear? They hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God being preached to them. They hear in their heart, as it, as it may be, they hear in their heart that God is saying, even though I divided you 4,000 years ago, I've not forgotten you, and I'm gathering you together today unto my son, unto the good shepherd, to bring you to live in peace together to bring you to live in joy together, to bring you to a place where you actually cooperate with each other, understand each other, and nothing that I purpose for you, church, will be impossible. You remember how he told them? Nothing would be impossible if we don't divide their languages. So in uniting the languages, God is making it so that nothing is impossible to Christians who love God, Who are joined together and love each other and walk in the love of god nothing is impossible and those christians may be from all different countries of the world but when we join together in jesus by the holy spirit then nothing is impossible to us so it says we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of god now this is written in greek in the original But they are speaking Aramaic, which is Hebrew, to each other, okay? That's the language that they speak here. So when they say deeds, that's the same word as words. That all of our words, all of our vocabulary is now something that's coming from God. What God has spoken is now coming to pass in our lives. Speaking of the mighty deeds of God. In verse 12. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? And they're getting ready to find out. But others were mocking. We'll talk about these others in a minute. And they were saying they are full of sweet wine, which is new wine. But Peter, taking his stand, so they're drunk, in other words. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, it's, it's a holiday and they just got drunk. Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them. So now he's speaking in his own language right he's not speaking in in the tongues that the Holy Spirit's giving him so it's another thing we see it's not something uncontrollable right the Holy Spirit is moving through them and now he speaks in his own language and he says men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem let this be known to you and give heed to my words and the first thing he does is dispel the the rumors that they're drunk for these men are not drunk as you suppose For it is only the third hour of the day. That means nine o'clock in the morning. He's saying, we haven't been up long enough to get this drunk. Okay? And he says, it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. He explains to them what this is. Now listen to this. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. So are you a part of mankind? (laughs) then this belongs to you. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. So this isn't just for old people, is it? It's for the young people. It says your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions. And it's not just for the youngsters. It's for the old people too. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Don't tell me you're too old for the Holy Spirit to move in your life and don't tell me you're too young. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, don't tell me you're too poor. It says, even on my bond slaves, I will in those days, and don't tell me I'm a, you're a woman, or that's what it would have been back then. These days, it would just be, I'm a man. Because nowadays, the women, the women are the spiritual ones. Back then, it was the men who were the spiritual ones. But nowadays, we've switched places, and the men sit back, and they're just like, oh, I don't have time for that church stuff, you know. No, it says, uh, men and women. I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Everyone. It makes no difference anymore whether you're man, woman, Jew, Gentile, rich, poor. Everyone needs to be saved. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of that sin is death. Everyone is on the highway to hell. Everyone's life needs salvation. And all you have to do is call on the name of the Lord Jesus. You don't have to produce some good work. You don't have to build some building out of bricks. You just call on the name of Jesus and you shall be saved. So Peter says that the last days have begun today. That's 2,000 years ago. So we live in the last days now. And that they will culminate only when Jesus comes back a second time. And we're drawing very close to that then. And in the in-between time, what a lot of people call the church age... I don't know if it should be called that or not, because we get into these names and we get all confused about things. But in the in-between time, what should we be doing? Well, the main verb in here is we should be prophesying. And to prophesy, I not have time to teach on it today. I might get into it next week. But really, that just means we should be speaking out the wonders of our Lord to people, that they could hear about Jesus. They could hear about the love of God. We should be speaking the word of God out of our mouths. And so God brought unity to the tongue. He brought the gift of tongues. And there are nine gifts of the Holy Spirit that are listed in uh, 1 Corinthians and the one of those is the gift of speaking in other tongues and i don't have time to talk about it today and i do want to do some teaching on it i have before and hopefully i will again but just take me at my at my word as you go through and you know don't take me at my word. do it yourself go through the book of acts and you will see that when the holy spirit comes on people they speak with new tongues you will see in in corinthians that paul says do not forbid people to speak in tongues that I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So I'm gonna just give you a little short testimony. In 1990, uh, 1991, I went to what was then the Soviet Union for the first time in my life. It was the last waning days of the Soviet Union. And you know I didn't know anything about geography or anything, so I thought I was in Russia, but I was actually in Latvia. And then we went on a train trip to Russia, so we went to Moscow and had this trip and that was when i knew 100 percent that the holy spirit was speaking to me to, to go there as a missionary and in 1993 i moved to moscow and i thought i made a commitment to be there for one year i didn't know how long i'd be there which is where i met dave chisholm and where dave and i became became friends and why i'm here in yarrington today because <laughs> that never would have happened if i hadn't gone then and uh, but in those two years between 91 and 93, I determined I'm going to learn Russian because I want to be able to speak to people in Russian when I'm there. And uh, so I took this class at the junior college, and this, this guy uh, named uh, Stan was teaching the class. His name was Stanislav, and uh, I remember this guy. He was a really nice guy, and I learned some Russian. But I learned such bad Russian, and I only learned how to, you know, like, say things like check please and those kind of things they teach you when you're going to these classes and the alphabet and things i learned such bad russian that when i was over there in the bible school i asked somebody could you hand me a quill please i wanted to say could you hand me a pen please but i used the word "quill" because that was the word they taught us in that class and i thought that meant like a ballpoint pen well it didn't it meant (laughs) quill, and and i remember i was getting kind of frustrated like i really want to speak russian and, you know, I pr- I'm telling you the truth. I prayed to God, and I said, when they spoke with other tongues, they were able to speak into the language, the heart language of those people, the, the wonders uh, of the Lord. And I speak with other tongues. I had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I had been filled with the Holy Spirit. And I had a, what's usually called a prayer language. I prayed in tongues. You know, it was all mostly private. I didn't speak out in tongues publicly very much or anything like that. And, um, but I said to God, but I don't have that aspect. So I want you, based on that scripture, to give me. And I just prayed this crazy prayer in faith that that's what the Bible says. I want you to give me the Russian language so I can speak out and people will understand me. And the Holy Spirit just spoke to my heart start studying the Bible in Russian. So I started studying the Bible in Russian. And within a year, I was already teaching classes in Russian. They weren't very good, but, but I was starting to do that. And the Lord really did honor that and give it to me, not in one fell moment like it happened with them, not with a tongue of fire sitting on top of my head or a boom of a rushing wind, uh, but it happened nonetheless. And, and God still does that for us today, that he can reach across the aisle to someone else and and reach into their lives, into the life of a person that you've never understood and that has never understood you and to speak the word of God into their life. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the power of prophecy. So the tongues were united. This is a done deal. Go with me over to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14, we won't be here much longer. And I'm just gonna read a few verses concerning these things in 1 Corinthians. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and in verse 22, and I'm kind of just picking this out of the context, but just listen, it says, so then tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is for a sign, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are mad? Crazy. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. So there's something about this verse when you just read it on the surface and don't understand what signs and wonders are. That's a little bit difficult to understand. It Almost sounds like Paul got confused in what he's saying here. But we need to understand what a sign and a wonder is the first place in scripture where we really see reference being made to signs and wonders and the early places in scripture, they all have to do with shocking things that come about as the judgment of God on people. For example, the plagues in Egypt, the plagues that he put on Egypt, those are called the signs and wonders of God. So what a sign does is it's supposed to stop you in your tracks and cause you to realize that you're going the wrong way and you need to go this way. So if you're a believer, if you believe the sign, then it's, it's gonna be shocking to you, but you're gonna to listen to what that sign says and you're gonna take the detour. If you're not a believer and you see that sign in your face, you're gonna say, ah, I've done, been on this road a thousand times. I can do what I want and just keep going on past that sign and then crash into the ditch or something like that because you didn't listen to what the sign said. And if you remember what Peter just, what we just read that Peter said, he said that these are signs and wonders, wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth beneath. So what is a wonder? A wonder is a miracle. It's something that's outside of the ordinary. This is a miracle that people are speaking in languages that they do not know. Think of even the miracle that each one of them could hear in their own native dialect. Because if you get a hundred and twenty people and they're all talking at the same time, you're not going to hear anything. So there's this miracle all around that's happening on this day where God's reuniting them together. It was a miracle when God divided their languages. So you have these wonders. What's a wonder? It's a miracle that people wonder about. I wonder how that happened. It fills us with wonder. It fills us with awe. And a sign points us to something. Do you know that it was said about Jesus in Luke chapter 2 when Mary brought her child to the temple to... Uh, dedicate him to Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to dedicate the child in the temple and Simeon spoke to them by the Holy Spirit he said behold this child baby Jesus is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed for a sign to be opposed and a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed So we see that even Jesus is called a sign. His life is a sign. But a sign is something that is opposed. And so it says that, uh, if we go back here to 1 Corinthians, it says tongues are for a sign. But they are not a sign to those who believe, but to unbelievers. Okay? So when you first read that, you think, well, if it's a sign to unbelievers, then we should all talk in tongues at the same time, because all the unbelievers will get saved. But that's because you don't understand what sign means. <laughs> the sign is to be opposed. And so we see on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts that those Jews who believed, they received the prophetic word that God was speaking to them. Those Jews that did not believe, they opposed it and said they're just drunk. So it was kind of weird. Some people in the crowd heard the gospel in their native language because their hearts were pure and they had faith. They wanted to hear what God had to say to them. Other people in the crowd heard nothing but babble, 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 babble and said they're just drunk. Think about that. And yet the same sign is there for all those people. And you see the same thing today. The same gospel is preached And some people get offended. They oppose it. They hate it. They can't understand it. They find fault with it. But the the problem isn't what God is saying. The problem is how I'm listening. Do I have faith? Do I want to receive what it is that God is saying? And is my heart open to receive this? So he says that this is a sign to those who are unbelievers. And that when they gather together, if, if, if you all speak the, this way in church, then they'll say that you're crazy. They'll say that you're mad. They'll say that you're drunk. But he says, if everybody prophesies, and again, prophecy does not mean that everybody says, thus says the Lord God, um, I don't know. Ron DeSantis shall be made president of this country or something like that. And we get those kind of prophecy things all the time. But that's, that's not what I didn't say Trump just because we already went through the Trump prophecies. So, sorry. And, um, uh, but, but anyway, that's not what prophecy means. Prophecy means that we're just sharing God's word with one another. You know, before church, Jerry and I were praying down here. And when we came up, John said, man, I wish I would have had a camera. There was just like this. Beautiful picture of you two guys standing there praying. and praying. And I don't think we were doing anything special. We just prayed together. But it is special because we're prophesying to each other. Just to pray with another person, you prophesy to them. You share God's word with them. You pray those mysteries together with other people. And so it says that if we all prophesy, uh, then, then an unbeliever or ungifted man, what's an ungifted man? Someone who doesn't speak with other tongues and doesn't think it's of God. An unbeliever or an ungifted man enters. He is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. Secrets of his heart are disclosed. Just like I said about Jesus, that the thoughts for many hearts may be revealed. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and basically he gets saved. I can't tell you the number of times over the years, and it's been almost 50 years since I first started preaching. Can you believe that? No, not 50. 40. Sorry. <laughs> I'm not that old. And... Uh, uh, and I can't tell you the number of times over the years, because I can't remember it, because it happens all the time, that someone will come up after a sermon, because a, a sermon is prophecy. And someone will come up and say, man, you just read my mail today. You just, how did you know I was going through this? or something. And sometimes people get offended. Somebody must have told the pastor about what's happening in my life. And it's said, no, I have no idea. It's just what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And then I'll also have people say, remember when you said this? and crickets crickets i have no idea i did not say that in fact i'm certain i didn't say that but if you heard that from the holy spirit and it helped you then awesome you know and maybe i said it maybe i didn't say it but you know there's that's how the prophecy works that's how it works and that's why the holy spirit came To unite our language together, to draw us together so that we could speak, so that we could be his witnesses and we could share the gospel with people. So go to 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, I was going to go to some other things, but I'm going to go to chapter 13 and we're going to end here. And we'll get to the other things next week if that's what the Lord wants. But I want to wrap this up now in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says, and, and everyone knows these verses, but just listen to them. It says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. So there are tongues of men and there are tongues of angels. When I speak in English or Russian, because I am fluent in it now, that's a tongue of man for me. Uh, I heard John Snyder just going on and on in Spanish with some some guys over at the yard sale they had over at... um, the Lutheran Church a couple of Saturdays ago about tools and everything. I'm just amazed because I never hear him speak in Spanish. And I don't know how good Spanish is, but it sure seems good. He <laughs> was just going on and on and on. So these are tongues of men. and But they're also tongues of angels. And I will tell you that, like Paul said, I thank God that I pray in other tongues. And you may be very rarely hear me pray in other tongues because... It's chiefly not designed for other people to hear, although there is the element of interpretation and things, and we'll get to that in a different message. But there are tongues of angels. It says, but if I do not have love, then I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And you would not enjoy that if our worship team was making noisy gongs and clanging cymbals. If I have the gift of prophecy and... Um, and it literally doesn't say gift of, it says if I have prophecy or if I prophesy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith we hope you enjoyed so the as message to remove mountains, you leave, I want to remind you that if do you want to have receiving updates and that you subscribe to our podcast. If you want more information on how to contact us, make sure to check out our website at Earrington And we'll see you next time on the YBF podcast.